Well, welcome everybody. It's Pastor Brad with the Equipping the Body podcast, and I am so glad that you're listening today, and we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, and my microphone just fell, so I apologize for that. But anyways, Ephesians chapter 4, rather I should say, picking up with verse number 5, where we left off last time we were together, excuse me, verse 7. And so Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he has just talked about unity, unity in a local church, how that we should come together, that we should be um, in your church, there should be unity and peace and love, and how that's achieved is by being in one accord doctrinally, uh, that goes without saying, but also uh, being humble, being kind, being patient with your fellow church members. Um And then he goes on to talk about spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. And so he says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So he says, each one of us, no, each believer has a spiritual gift. Now, you may not know what your spiritual gift is yet, but you have one. Whether it's teaching or administrating or hospitality, I, I, I don't know. That That's between you and the Holy Spirit. I, I, I have no way of knowing that. Um, but you have one or you're not saved because it's a sign of the Holy Spirit that we have uh, His Spirit in us that we are, have a spiritual gift. Everybody has at least one. Now, some people have more than one. Um, and some of the sign gifts have ceased, and we'll get into that later. But everybody's got at least one. And so... But what is he talking about when he says, then he ascended and descended? Now, when you study the Bible inductively, uh, asking who, what, when, where, how, uh, and trying to get at what the text actually says, you're, you're going to encounter some problem passages. Okay, What do I mean by problem passages? I mean passages that are just weird and seem to almost not even fit. To the rest, like for example, when Paul talks about baptizing for the dead or that women will be saved through childbirth, what in the world was he talking about? Well, that's what you call a problem passage. Here's the thing you need to understand about problem passages before I even go any further. Number one, very few of them. Number two, where the Bible is unclear, we need to have grace. Because you may meet a brother or sister who reads that problem passage and has a different opinion of it. Number three, one of the things you'll notice about problem passages when you start reading uh, commentaries is that great scholars and even great like Bible-believing conservative scholars, like not literary scholars, okay, guys that you know just do this for a living, but ones that are actually evangelical, that actually believe the gospel, but are also biblical scholars that have PhDs, they won't agree with each other. And so I don't think you and I are going to figure it out. But I can tell you what I think, okay? When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Now Paul goes on in verse 9, he says, Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So clearly, the who, the he, is Jesus Christ. Like, we can guess that much, okay? Because who who is higher than the heavens 
Jesus Christ. Who is feeling all things? Jesus Christ. There's this divine character, okay? And then he talks about Christ is the one who gave the gifts, okay? So clearly the he has got to be Jesus. The question is, is what does he mean when he says he led captivity captive and he ascended and talks about he descended the lower parts of the earth? Well, if you know church history, uh, one of the creeds says that Jesus descended into hell. And let me tell you what I was taught as a child, okay? That when Jesus, um, when Jesus died on the cross, okay, that he went into hell, uh, into the heart of the earth, and there was hell on one side, and there was paradise, like a temporary heaven, on the other side. And here's how they explain this. Because Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, not that it's finished yet. Okay, that was one part of the explanation. The other was, the Bible says hell enlarged itself. Okay, The other was, Luke 16, the rich man's in hell. Lazarus is in paradise. Now, it doesn't say heaven necessarily, but in Abraham's bosom. And they can see each other and talk to each other. Okay, And when you take all that scripture together, they came up with the idea that before Jesus ascended, that before he rose again, that he went into the heart of the earth, okay, into Sheol, the place of the dead, and there was both a hell there, if you will, and a temporary paradise there, if you will, and he took that temporary paradise and took them up to heaven with him to the right hand of the Father, and then hell enlarged itself. The last piece of evidence for this theory is that this would explain what Matthew was talking about when he said all these people got up from the dead when Jesus was crucified and were seen for many, that those were the Old Testament saints, believers who died before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, that's one theory. I, I'm not telling you that that fills all the holes. I'm not telling you you have to believe that. I'm not even telling you that that's necessarily what I believe. I'm just simply telling you that that's one way of explaining the uh, the uh, problem passage, okay? And so right now I'm going to pull it up on my, because I wasn't raised Methodist or Presbyterian or Lutheran. I was raised non-creedal Baptist, so I'm going to have to pull up the Apostles' Creed. I don't have it memorized. But let me pull this up for you for a moment. And I will read to you this part of the creed. Uh, Keep in mind the Apostles' Creed was not actually written by the Apostles. Just just so you know. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. Okay? Now, that is part of the Apostles' Creed. I'm not going to go any further. Again, I don't. we don't recite the Apostles' Creed at my church, Sears Shows Baptist Church. Um, 
I'm not throwing rocks at you if you recite the Apostles' Creed. That wasn't even my point. Um, I'm just telling you where we see this problem passage, how the church historically has dealt with it. Now, what are you going to do with it? That That's up to you. I, I really I can't tell you what to do with a problem passage. Um, another theory is, well, this is just metaphorical. You know, it, it's just a metaphor for something we don't really know, uh, but that's what it is. And so I, I cannot answer those questions for you. But that is how you handle a problem passage. You then go to your commentaries and your study tools and find the theory that you think fits the best and pray and leave it at that. And that's really all you can do. And so now we go on to verse number 11. And before we move on, I'm going to take this difficult passage and I'm going to explain to you, even though you can't see me, what I would do uh, coming across a problem passage. So I've got one commentary in my hand. Of course, I told you what to look for in a commentary. You need to check the credentials of the writer. Uh, is he a conservative? And by conservative, I'm not talking about Republican or Democrat. I'm talking about he actually believes the Bible's the Word of God, like he believes in miracles, he believes Jesus is real, that heaven's real, hell's real, like he's an actual Christian as well. And then you need to check, you know, did he did he go to school? Does he have a formal education? Um, was it a real one from accredited or at least respected institutions? Stuff like that, okay? And then, uh, yeah. So we've already went over that before. So I've got this problem passage, right? So I open this, and in my hand, I've got William Barclay. Uh, Barclay was well known for his Bible daily Bible study series where he went through the New Testament. Um, of course, he started as conservative and ended as a liberal apostate uh, right before, in his later years before his death, he, he denounced uh, orthodoxy and uh, and I mean little O, like sound doctrine, and embraced universalism. So anyways, I'm here, Ephesians 4, okay, 4, 8. So I want to see what he's got to say about this very odd verse, and it is an odd verse. Um, he's talking about how he's quoting from Psalm 68, uh, which is, is true. G, uh, Paul's quoting the Old Testament, Psalm 68. Um, he's sitting in the height, the Old Testament, the King Lynch. So in other words, uh, basically, Barclay believes that this is Paul speaking of Jesus' victory as a victor, as a victorious king over sin, Um pulling from Psalm 68 where that direct quote comes. And I'm not going to sit here and do this, but if I had to guess, uh, I've got Richard Coykin's uh, Ephesians for You, um, which is pretty decent. Um, but if I had to guess, his, his interpretation is going to be the same. Okay, so that's just what you would do, all right? But the thing about these problem passages is, it has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with whether you're saved. It's just one of those things in the Bible we just kind of understand, kind of don't understand. You know, maybe some people think they understand it. I don't know. 
But anyways, that's how you would handle a problem passage. Really, really not that significant. Now, going on to verse 11, he begins to describe these gifts. He said, And he himself gave some to be apostles, apostolos, the sent ones in the Greek. Okay? The apostles, there were 12 of them. Um, there are only 12 of them. Okay, the book of Acts makes it very clear that to be an apostle, you had to physically see the resurrected Jesus and partake in the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus. Okay, Peter made that very clear when they chose Matthias to replace Judas Iscariot. So these guys and gals that call themselves apostles today, they are sorely confused, biblically illiterate, or uh, false teachers, and so the pendulum swings to those two extremes. But no, there's apostle was an office as well as a gift, and nobody serves in that office. There's only two offices in the church age, and that's pastor and deacon, as prescribed in First Timothy chapter three. Paul's writing in the church age, so. Uh, there are no apostles today. Nobody alive today was alive back then. Um, and so when somebody claims that title, they are going against Peter, who wrote, who spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So literally they're claiming something the Word of God says they cannot claim. And uh, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes, but I'll leave that up to you. And he said some prophets, some evangelists. Now, Prophets, okay, prophets, do they? what do they do? They prophesy, they tell the future, they reveal things they could not have known. Now, some people just say, well, there's forth-telling prophets and foretelling prophets. Forth-telling, they're just bold, they're proclaiming the truth. And that's MacArthur's opinion, and I'm a huge John MacArthur fan, but I just completely disagree with that because every time we see somebody called a prophet in the Bible, they are, at least in some form, talking about future events that take place before they're alive. Okay, Do we have prophets today? No, I don't think we do. Uh, I believe that that's one of the sign gifts that ceased with the apostolic age. In other words, when John died, the sign gifts died. Um, the reason I believe that is because the Bible says when that which is perfect has come, of course talking about the Word of God, the complete canon, the rule of Scripture, then that which is done in part will be done away with. And it says prophecies will fail and tongues shall cease and blah, blah, blah. So uh, not going to get into that here, but he said some prophets. So that was a spiritual gift. Some evangelist. Now, just because somebody has the spiritual gift of evangelism doesn't mean that the rest of us don't have to do evangelism. We are all called to do to evangelism, to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission applies to anybody and everybody who is saved. However, there are some people who have the gift of evangelism. Um, they have the ability to propagate the gospel, whether through one-on-one -on -one situations or conversations or whatever have you, in a way that's very fruitful and very edifying. Um, I personally do not believe I have that gift. Now, I share my faith. I hand out tracts. I invite people to church. And when God gives me the opportunity, I have gospel conversations. I ask somebody what their spiritual beliefs are and then share with them mine concerning the gospel, but I, I personally 
I've never seen the evidence in my life that I have the gift of evangelism. But I'm still called to do evangelism because I'm a Christian. And some pastors and teachers, okay, and so that can be understood as dual. Uh, pastors are to be teachers. Elders uh, are to be teachers. That is their primary function, um, despite popular belief in most rural uh, older churches, the pastor's job is is actually to study the Word of God. In fact, he was not to deal with anything else because in the book of Acts, they said, let us find seven men so that we can study, preach, and pray, and these men can take care of the administration. And so really, that's the deacon's job, uh, to visit the sick and afflicted and to uh, maintain administration in the church. The pastor's job is to study, preach, and pray and do the work of an evangelist, Second Timothy 4. And so, anyways, pastors and teachers. Now I'm in verse 12. So he gives spiritual gifts, okay? And this is not all the spiritual gifts. First Corinthians lists the rest of them. I don't know why Paul didn't list all of them here. I, I, I mean, when I get to heaven, I guess we can ask him. But uh, this, is not, this is not an all-inclusive list. This is a partial list. Nevertheless, why do we have spiritual gifts? To get on TV and ask people to send us money like the charismatics do? No. Our gifts aren't even for us. Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Oh, you mean our gifts are to help other believers? Yep has zero to do with getting on TV and saying, I have a gift, send me lots of money, and then making noises with your mouth that aren't real. That's not in the Bible. That's not uh, what Scripture declares. That That is completely foreign to Scripture. That's foreign to the first century church, um, and it is a farce and blasphemous. Has nothing. Your your gifts aren't about you. They're about the church. So for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So to equip other believers to do the work of the ministry. That's the job of the pastor and teacher. Yes, but these are elders in the church, and this is why they were given gifts. Um, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, edifying means lifting up, building up. So it's to be poured back into the church. We're to serve our local church with our gifts. Now, I hear all the time people say, you don't have to go to a local church to be a Christian. Well, uh, yeah, you do. Because why would Paul, excuse me, Paul was writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why would the Holy Spirit waste his time instructing us on how to use our gifts if we were able to do church online and never join a local church? The Bible is all about the local church. Paul wrote to local churches. Um, anything, this idea that you don't have to be a, a member of a church or be actively involved, that, that's foreign to Scripture, sir, ma'am, boys and girls. That is completely foreign to Scripture. Last time I checked, which was a few minutes ago, Hebrews 10.25 is still in the Bible. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. All the more as you see the day approaching. And so that that is just, um, I'm sorry, that's just laughable. But anyways, so he says, for the edifying of the body of the Christ, of the body of Christ, so to build each other up. Now, until when, verse 13, till we all, who's we, believers, 
all come to the unity, the what? The unity of the faith, of the faith, of our faith in Christ, of the faith, the faith delivered to saints, the body of beliefs and doctrines we call Christianity, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay. Now, I've told you before, whenever you read a wooden translation, I like wooden translations. I believe that's the right way to translate. You'll see that word perfect. It doesn't mean perfect in the modern sense of without error, but it means perfect in the sense of complete maturity. And so he says, till we come. So the gifts are given to believers, primarily uh, pastors and teachers for the building of the saints, but to all believers to pour back into the local church in order to bring about unity and maturity in Christ, to make us more like Jesus, to further our sanctification until we come to that mature point. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Let me pause right there. Immature Christians who don't know their Bible will believe some weird stuff. Okay? One of the things I've seen as a pastor is children. Now, in age, they were well advanced in years, but spiritually they were children, maybe three four-year-old toddlers at best, spiritually speaking, and they believe some wacky, wonky stuff tossed about, Paul said, every wind of doctrine. Why? Because they have not been fed and edified by pastors and teachers who are equipped to expositorily teach the Word of God verse by verse the way it was intended to be taught. And so because they've never been built up, they'll believe anything even really, really weird stuff. What kind of weird stuff am I talking about? I've seen it all. I've met people who I really uh, believe were God-fearing Christians who thought that, um, you know, there was participated in Ash Wednesday, a, a Roman Catholic uh, sacrament of rubbing ashes on our forehead. Uh, I don't need ashes on my forehead. I've had the blood applied to my heart. Why would we go back under the law? And that's not even the weirdest. I mean, I, uh, I've met a lot that believe in baptismal regeneration because they don't know any better. Um, it's not because they don't have faith in Christ, but they literally don't know any better because they don't know their Bible. Um, they haven't been edified and built up. So Paul says we need to get you to maturity spiritually, uh, so that you know Scripture and you're not believing all these false doctrines that are being thrown at you by deceitful people. All right. But speaking the truth in love may grow up, we need to grow up, amen, in all things into him who was the head, Christ. Okay? So that you would grow up in Christ, speaking the truth in love. You'd come to spiritual maturity. Being able to speak the truth in love is a sign of spiritual maturity. Okay? Believing sound doctrine is a sign of spiritual maturity. Okay? Believing weird stuff that's not in the Bible, even though you show genuine repentance, is a sign 
that while you may be a true Christian, you are a baby, okay? Because you're believing things that are wonky that aren't in the Scripture. Not that it's necessarily completely your fault, because a church is only as strong as its pastor's teaching. Um, but you get the point of what Paul is talking about in the text. All right. Grow up. So the, the big idea here is spiritual maturity. Grow up. Okay. And all things who is the head Christ. Now what does that mean Christ the head of the church? Well the head of a body is in charge of the body. Right. Your brain tells your body what to do. So in other words this speaks of the headship. The lordship of Christ. That Christ is in charge of the church. That's why that we don't as Protestants. Uh, we don't pay no never mind to the popery or to anybody else wearing funny hats claiming to speak for God because Jesus already spoke for God. He is God, and it's all recorded in the Bible. And every man that's ever lived has been a sinner, so we don't need any men with funny hats speaking to us for God because we have the Word of God. Now, Pastor, you're being a little facetious. It's rhetoric. I use that to get my point across because it's serious. And furthermore, when a man claims to speak for God and doesn't preach the gospel, Galatians says that he should be cut off from God and cast into hell. The word in the Greek is anathema. If any man preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. This is why all of our uh, forefathers in the Protestant Reformation uh, believed and said that the Pope was anti-Christ. He preached another gospel. So anyways... Got off on a tangent there. From the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Everybody needs to do their share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The whole body. Now we each have different parts. of Christ is the head and I might be an elbow and you might be a toe. Okay, But each part of the body has got a part. And when they're fit together in Christ through sound doctrine, love, and unity, they work together to grow the body, to strengthen the body. That is effective, okay? It's basically what Paul's saying. Reread it, and you'll see that I'm telling you the truth. But in order to have this in a local church, you've got to be part of a local church. Number two, there has to be sound doctrine. Number three, there has to be love and unity, which is most likely why Paul started this conversation talking about love and unity. You can't work together with somebody that you're always arguing with. And so this is uh, spiritual maturity. We see the spiritual gifts. They're not even about us. <laughs> They're about helping our brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of this points to spiritual maturity. And so I hope this has been a blessing to you. And until next time, keep studying the book of Ephesians. Keep asking your inductive Bible study questions. Who, what, when, where, how. Get a good Bible dictionary. Look up some tools of the trade and dig in to God's word.